0: Well, Christmas and love always seem to go
1: together, don't they? If you don't believe me, just watch a Hallmark Christmas movie, right? They got 136 of them since they've started making movies. This year alone, the Hallmark Christmas Channels has produced 40 Christmas movies for your viewing this year only. Has anybody watched all 40 of them? We'll be praying for you. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. Um But the truth is, if you've watched one Hallmark Christmas movie, you've watched them all. Isn't that true? You know, I I took a moment to kind of take a stab at that and give you my own draft that I hope to find on the Hallmark Channel next Christmas, and it goes something like this. Stephanie, a type A-driven businesswoman from Big City, USA, who just never has time for Christmas, receives news that her father passed away, and she needs to return home to quaint Christmas Rural Town, USA, a town that stays in perpetual... Christmas all year round. With the passing of her father, the family's bakery business is more than her mother can handle and is facing bankruptcy. Stephanie agrees to stay through the Christmas holiday to help her mother run the bakery. As soon as she gets into town, she literally runs into a guy who is doing some handy work at the bakery, only to discover that this handyman is none other than her high school sweetheart, Derek. He works as a high school uh, shop teacher by day and the town's all around handyman by night. The old flames of love are rekindled and Derek is about to ask Stephanie to marry him. I know it's only been three days, but who's counting? (laughs) But surprise, Stephanie's very wealthy fiance, Jared from Big City, USA, makes a surprise visit to quaint Christmas rural town USA. His company sent him to shut down the struggling bakery that has been delinquent on its mortgage payments. And as you may have guessed, Stephanie falls out of love with her current fiancé, Jared, and deeper in love with Derek. So she agrees to marry him on Christmas Day. Just before their wedding, Stephanie discovers that Derek is actually a prince from some obscure tiny country (laughs) in the North Pole, and so he whisks her away on a magic sleigh for the Christmas royal wedding of a lifetime. Yeah. I am submitting my transcripts even as we speak. And my hope is that next year you will find on the Hallmark Christmas channel this movie, Baking Up an Unexpected Royal Christmas Wedding. (laughs) Christmas is about love. In fact, at its essence, Christmas is a love story. It is the greatest expression of love that God has shown us at Christmas. That's why it's one of the Advent themes, love. Love. We've talked a lot about Advent over these past weeks. We've talked about love. We've talked about joy, peace. We've talked about hope. Well, we will talk about love. But the truth is that love is the bedrock behind all of these other Christmas virtues. Without love, there would be no peace. There would be no joy. Without love, there would be no hope. It is the bedrock upon which all of the attributes of Christmas rest. In fact, love is what is often sung about at Christmas, isn't it? you can't help but listen to a Christmas song, you're going to hear, all I want for Christmas is you, right? Mariah Carey will sing that for you. Various other artists will sing, I'll be home for Christmas. You'll hear all kinds of Christmas talking about love. You'll listen to the Christmas hymns, the Christmas carols, sing about God's love. In fact, we just sang one, Silent Night, and within that song, there were the words, Silent Night, Holy Night, Son of God, loves." pure light. We also find it in a holy night. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace and joy to the world. He, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Wonders of his love. I think that's just, Isaac, when he wrote that, he obviously had used the word wonders of his love for a very specific purpose. And I actually opened up the dictionary again because how many times again do we use words and not really dig deeper into what they mean? And so I looked up wonder. And it means a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration. So there's surprise and yet admiration. it's, It's caused by something that is beautiful and it is often unexpected. And talk about the Christmas story, the way God expressed his love, that's very unexpected. A baby born in Bethlehem? That's unexpected. It's also something that's unfamiliar. What kind of God has ever shown his love that way? That is wonderful, and it's also inexplicable. How do you describe that kind of love? That's the wonder of God's love. In fact, God's wonderful love was on full display for all to see through his son Jesus. In fact, kind of our big idea today is this God's wonderful love is both given and proven through Christmas It's given it was given through Christ Jesus but not only was it given it was proven to us that God loves us by giving us his son Jesus so God's wonderful love is both given and it's proven to us through Christmas and John reminds us of that John writes the gospel according to John he also writes first second and third John and he writes revelation but in his letters and the gospel John uses the word love a lot He loves love. In fact, he was known as the beloved disciple and probably in one of his most all-time favorite and most familiar verses, he talks about God's love. You'll see it held up at football games, at basketball games, you'll see it tattooed on somebody's face or stamped on their face or written on their face, John 3:16, which wraps around that little verse, the entire love of Christmas, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, sometimes when I'm studying scriptures, to help me dig around a little bit deeper into that verse, I'll take that passage and then I'll write it out myself. I'll restructure the sentence. I'll, I'll move some words around. I'll, I'll wonder what happens if this word is missing. What happens if we change this? And I, again, I'm not here to change God's word. That's not my point. But sometimes I've discovered that when I can rephrase it, and write it out, I can get a better grasp of what this is saying. So I took that verse and applied the Kelly Standard Version to it, which goes like this, that God gave his one and only son because he loved the world so much. Whoever believes and receives God's gift of love, Christ our Savior, will never die but have
0: eternal life. So God so loved, therefore he gave. You know, the truth is that giving
1: is what love does. Giving is how love expresses itself when it is given. Giving is at the heart of love, and therefore giving is at the heart of God. There are some people who think God's not a giver, he's actually a taker. And maybe you've, words, you've used words something like that. Well, God took that person home. God took this from me. God took my job from me. God took my money from me. God took, whatever, my marriage away from me. A lot of times we have this thing that God is a taker, but he's not. In Scripture, God is a giver. Have you ever been the person who has been so excited to give a gift to someone Maybe it's this year. Maybe you bought something very special for your kids or your grandkids or your spouse or, or that somebody special and you it's still wrapped and you're so excited for the moment that person's going to open it. I know as a parent what it feels like to have that excitement for your kids to open a present. You know they've been looking forward to opening. They think they're going to get it, but they're not sure. There's almost more joy in the face of the person giving the gift than in the kid who's receiving it. You know, you probably all watch videos gone viral of kids who freaked out when they got their Christmas present. You know, we probably all have at least seen a couple of those. I think it'd be great to do a video montage of the joy in a, in a parent's face when they're giving a gift to a child. Because don't you agree, grandparent, parent, there's something in you that is a joy when that child or that person opens up that gift and receives it. And I think, I, I believe that was... The kind of joy God felt when he gave us the greatest gift of all, his son. I think he felt joy in his heart as he gave that gift. And there was an excitement. What was his motive for sending us Christ? You know, was it judgment? No, John tells us later in John 3, it's not to judge the world or to condemn the world. Was it to form a new religion? Is that why he sent Jesus, to form religion and and make it crusty and stale and old? No. Was it to separate the righteous from the unrighteous and and marginalize people? Is that why Jesus came? No. Was it to start a political party or to fuel some political agenda? No. That's not why Jesus came. If we put him into those reasons, then we've totally missed it. What was the motive behind the giving of Jesus? It was love. A complete act of selfless love. Now, love is one of those words that often gets overused, right? We love pizza. We love our spouse. Hopefully, that love is a little bit different in its variations, right? Because we use the word all the time. And the Greeks also had multiple words that they would use for love. Now, we typically just have one word that we say love. The Greeks had four different words primarily they would use for love. But there was this one word that didn't get used very often in in general Greek language that expressed love. And so gospel writers, particularly John, took that word for love and decided to use it to express what God's love looked like. And that Greek word is agape. I'm sure you've heard it. In fact, in John 3.16, for God so agape, God so loved the world. Well, what does agape mean? When we look at it through the lens of scripture and how it was used to describe God, it is basically an active, self-giving love which in goal and action consistently seeks the highest good of another and never itself. So it's active, it's selfless and it seeks the best interest of others. In fact, agape is actually not an emotion. Cuz emotions come and go, right? Agape is actually a will-based Love. It is a choice, a determination that I will love. This love is unconditional. It's generous. It sets its love upon a person for their benefit, not for their own, without demanding anything in return. And also, in spite of that person's worth or their attractiveness or their present condition or their previous action or even their consequential response, however they choose to deal with that love, that love is extended all of us, and this is a love that is willfully given with no conditions, no expectations in return. Now, God would like us to respond to that, but the world thinks that love is what makes a person feel good, and so in pursuit of that kind of love, it's okay to, uh, well, maybe sacrifice moral principles for that kind of love because that feels good. Others might say, I want that love, and so I To order for me to give and receive love, I'm going to sacrifice your rights so that I can have the kind of love I want to obtain this kind of love. But that's the opposite of real love because that's selfish love. God's love is selfless. Real love is selfless. It's sacrificial. In fact, Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And that's the true essence of agape love. In fact, Paul further describes this love in 1 Corinthians 13. I know we've looked at it before. You probably used it in a wedding or you've heard it sung. But in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul basically takes that word agape and then he gives it his own definition that really helps to flesh out what this love looks like. And he says that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That is the love that we as Christians should have for each other. That is the love that God has for us. In fact, you could take that verse and you could say, God is patient, God is kind. Why? Because God is love. In fact, that is what John, the loved disciple, we already read about in John 3.16, helps us to further understand in one of his letters, 1 John chapter 4. In fact, if you read any of John's letters, especially 1 John, you're going to find the word love like a ton of times. He uses it all the time in that letter. And in this one passage, he's talking about what God's love is like and how we should also love. So I want you to go in your Bibles or or your smart device. Many of you have the Bible app on
0: your phone. You can use that and follow along with our notes to 1 John chapter 4. Because John is writing this letter to an audience that probably at this point is not
1: very lovely. And as I look at our world today, as I look within the evangelical world today, as I look around America, as I look at what it looks like on social media and news, it looks like, boy, we could really use some teaching on love. And so John is going to speak about love right into this church body because it was not being evidenced. And so he begins to say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because, and here's his big statement, God is love. God is love. What was John meaning when he would say God is love? Because if we, if we break that statement down, it's kind of like A basic equation, one plus one is two. And what he's saying here is God is love. Now, the danger we often have is wanting to take that statement and say love is God. And in America, and our culture, we want to make love our God, and so we pursue love in all kinds of manner, in ways that hurt ourselves or hurt others, and you can't Turn that statement around, because God is love. He's the source of all love. Therefore, love comes from God. In fact, it's been accurately said that love does not define God, but God defines love. In fact, the statement, God is love, very important. It's not just God is loving. Don't water it down and say, oh, God is loving as though it's one of his attributes. He is love. God, his very essence is love. It's not one of his many activities that he happens to love you. It's how he does every activity. It is full of love, for God so loved. We already read it.
0: But here's the deal. If God is love and we are God's children, then shouldn't it make sense that
1: we are also loving? In fact, John gets so bold as to say, if you don't love which means each other and our world, then you really don't know God. In fact, I would say it this way. Our love for God is best proven in how we love others. Our love for God is best proven in how we love others. To claim to know God while failing to love others, that's a false claim. And As I look at our churches today and how we interact with our world, there are times, friends, we don't look lovely. Now, I know there are big issues that are out there to debate, but we can do that with love. We can be loving with the truth because Jesus was full of grace and truth, full of love when he communicated the gospel message, when he taught about the kingdom of heaven. He was full of love. People today who don't love the church love Jesus. Why? Because he was God's love wrapped in flesh. He is love as well. That's how he ministered. And it goes on in 1 John to say it, verse, four, uh, verse 9, this is how God showed his love. So he is love. And now, because we know agape is an active love, this is how he showed it, his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life or we might live through him. See, God's great, wonderful love could have just been a great thought. He could have thought thoughts of love for you. Or it could have been just a deep feeling that God had in his heart. He could have deeply felt a love for you. But how would we have known his love? If it was just a great thought of God, if it was just a deep feeling he had for you, how would we know? In fact, I know married couples in the room, you know this. You probably love your spouse. You have thoughts of love. You have love in your heart. But if you don't communicate it in other ways, if there's not service or action behind that love yeah, well, it can sometimes be missed. You're know, not going to be the guy that said, well, I told her on a wedding day I love her, and that's enough, right? I mean, that's, that's not how it works. Love is not just a deep thought, it's, a feel. it's an action. It's displayed through action. In fact, John tells us, this is how God showed his love, and look at what it says, among us, Among us, God's love is best understood through his actions, so he came, and he put his love on display in Christ. In fact, God put his love on display that first Christmas so that no one could miss it. No one could miss it. Now, there were angels to announce it. There were shepherds that were there to receive the announcement. They went and saw the the baby Jesus, and what did they do when they left? They told everybody. So in that region, they couldn't have missed it, and of course, the gospel spread from that point. God did this so nobody would miss it, and here's the truth. Everybody, and the sound of any kind of radio or television broadcast will know that Christmas is about Jesus being born. That's still a message, thank God, that we get to share at the Christmas season. His love was shown among us. He came right to where we live. I love the way that John chapter 1 in the message translation talks about it, that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood is the way the message translation says it. He came right to where we are. His love didn't stay in the confines of heaven as some wonderful deep thought of love. He came and made his dwelling right here. Love came down at Christmas in the birth of Christ and lived among us. And that verse, verse 9, in a nutshell is the gospel message. God loves us. He showed his love among us. How?
0: Jesus came into the world that we might live through him, a great proof of his love and a great motivation for how we should love as well. Now, there was a
1: girl named Anissa, and this is a true story. Back in 1988, when she was 16 years old, Anissa was diagnosed with leukemia. It was a rare form of leukemia, and even when they uh, did um, the chemotherapy and radiation, if she would not receive a bone marrow transplant, she would not survive. The problem was her parents were not a match for a donor. Her brother was not a match for a donor for her. They could not find a match for her immediately in the list. If she would not find a donor, she could
0: die because of the disease, the, the cancer that she had. So the parents, in their late 40s, decided to have a child in hopes that maybe this child would be a match. And so Marissa was born. And when Marissa was old enough, just a few months old, I think it was four months old, she, well,
1: some marrow, she didn't donate it because she wouldn't have known at four months old, but some of her marrow was donated
0: because she was a perfect match. And because of that, Anissa's life was saved. In fact, years later, Marissa would
1: basically make a statement that that said, without me being a perfect match for my sister, she
0: would not be here. You could say that Marissa was born to save her sister. As we think about Christmas, I think we could understand that Jesus
1: was born, a perfect match, the only one, by the way, who could be our Savior. To save us not from leukemia, but from something far more eternal, from our sin. He's the perfect match. And he was born the Savior of the world, is what John said in his passage. And because he was born into our lives as our Savior, don't you think that that love expressed to us ought to find its way into our hearts? Yes. And then out of our hearts into the lives of those around us? It absolutely should. So how is God's love for you on display through your life? God showed it among us by sending his son. But how is his love on display in your life? How do people who live in close proximity, do you know that you love God? Is it a deeply held value you have in your head? Is it a heart love you have for God, but there's no action behind it? There's no kindness to your neighbors. There's no expression of grace or truth or care. God's love is best expressed in an action. The verse goes on in verse 10. This is love. So you want to know what it is? Here it is. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Of all the different kinds of love, agape love, God's love, is the truest and most enduring form of it. See, in the Greek language, there is eros, love, which is that passionate sexual love, there is storgi, which is a family love, a devotion to your family. There is ph- uh, philos or philos love, which is a love for your brother, like a brotherly affinity. And there's agape, which is that selfless, giving, serving, looking to the needs of others above your own love. And agape was what was used exclusively by John in this letter. In fact, if you ever read, John, I encourage you to underline every time you find love because it is that love God has for you, that self-giving, self-sacrificing love. It wasn't just a thought he had. It wasn't even just spoken. It was demonstrated, how? By a Savior, Jesus, who came as a sacrifice for our sins. And here's the good news. This kind of love, you might think you chose to love God, but here's the reality we chose to respond to the love God already gave to us because he loved us when we were unlovely. He loved us when we were broken. In fact, he loved us when we were full of sin and transgression, right? The Bible tells that. In fact, Romans 5:8 tells us this. But God demonstrates his own love for us. So here it again. On demonstration, here's how God shows it. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, before you could even love God or choose to do that, when you were still dead in your sin, that's
0: when God loved you. We now respond to his love for us. God loves all people, but his love does not
1: soften his view of sin. This is why this verse is so important. God loves all people, but his love does not soften his view of sin. It it does not Make him morally lax. I know we we have a society today that says, well, God loves, and so God's gotta love the way I am. He's gotta love the sin that I deal with. He's gotta love me. In fact, I'm sure God has changed his mind about a few things over the years because of his love. No, and here's, here's why. Here's why God cannot
0: be morally lax. He knows what our sin cost. Because it was his love, sacrifice that paid for our sin. He's not going to be lax on it.
1: He knows the cost of our sin. It was his own son coming to be the savior of the world.
0: But thank God that he didn't lax his view of it. Instead, he provided a solution for our sin, a savior.
1: God himself, God incarnate, Jesus, the son of God coming to take our place, to die the death we deserve because of our sin. He does not relax his view of sin, friends, but instead he provides a solution for it, that we could all be saved. It moves on, First John four eleven, dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You know, because believers are born of God, then we should resemble the Father in some regard, right? For example, I am the son of Terry and Irma Dufour. I should have some resemblance, because I'm a child of theirs, to one of them. I have my father's hairline, which is a telltale sign. We looked at a picture uh, going through the Christmas photo albums of my dad when he was about Jameson, my son's age, and it's like, holy cow, they could be twins, because there's a resemblance in the family line. Some of you might have said to that cute new baby, oh, she has her mother's nose. Oh, look, she has her father's big toe. You know, whatever. There seems to be some kind of resemblance to the parent. Friends, here's the truth. If we are children of God, born of the Spirit of God because Jesus died for us, then there should be a resemblance in our, in our lives to our father. And the best one of those is love. See, God loves people sacrificially, unselfishly, completely, and that provides for us a great example of how we should love. And and the problem is we can't do this on our own, but if we allow the Holy Spirit to change our lives and allow God's love to permeate our lives in such a way that we respond to it and begin to emulate it, here's what happens. God is made complete, and people will know that we love God. My fear for the church today, friends, is that people will not see the love of God in his body, the church. It's not made complete. But if we love like God calls us to love, the way that he loved, then his love is made complete and people will actually know
0: that God loves them. He goes on in 1 John 4, 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in
1: us. He has given us of his Spirit, which, by the way, is wonderful because we can't love the way God wants us to love without the transforming work of the Holy Spirit within us. My love will always be shallow and superficial without God's divine touch in my life by the Holy Spirit to help me to love. In fact, what is the first fruit listed of the Spirit? As Paul lists out the fruit of the Spirit, evidence that we are children of God, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the very first one. Love. Verse 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And boy, I rely on that love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. That's how the world's going to know God's love still lives in the world today. It's through his body, the church, and we should love like Jesus, John says. And he's writing this again to a culture who's not acting very loving. And he says, "Look, if we want the world to know God is still at work and He still loves, then here's how it happens if we live like Jesus. Because if I begin to live like him, I begin to look at the people around me the way Christ would, how did he deal with people he came across? With love. The sinful woman, with love. The tax collector, with love. That's how Jesus operated. And believers who receive God's love by the Holy Spirit should do the same. In fact, the Holy Spirit at work within us
0: should lead us to live and love like Jesus like Jesus. We got some work to do, but thank God the Holy Spirit will help us to do that.
1: One of my favorite Christmas stories is about an old shoe cobbler
0: who dreamed one Christmas Eve that Jesus would come to meet with him. And so this dream was so vivid, he thought for sure it was going to come true.
1: And so as Christmas Eve approached, he went out and he, he got some, some boughs of, of holly, he got some fur, he began to decorate his shop, and he, he got all ready for Jesus to come and visit. And he was so sure that Jesus was going to come that he just sat down and waited, and waited.
0: The hours passed and, and Jesus didn't come, but an old man came. He had come inside for a moment to get warm
1: out of the winter cold. And as the cobbler talked with him, he noticed the holes in the man's shoes. And so he reached up on the shelf and got a new pair of shoes down. He made sure that the shoes fit and that he had a new pair of socks that were dry. And then he sent him on his way. And still he waited, but Jesus didn't come. But an old woman came. This woman who hadn't eaten a decent meal in two days. So they sat down and visited for a while, and he prepared a meal for her to eat, and he gave her a nourishing meal and sent her along the way.
0: And he sat down and he waited for Jesus to come. But still, Jesus didn't come. Then he heard a little boy crying out in
1: front of a shop, and so he went out to talk with the boy, and he learned that the boy had been separated from his parents, and he didn't know the way home. So he put on his coat, grabbed the little boy by his hand, and led him home. When he came back to his little shop, it was almost dark and the streets were emptied of the people. And then in a moment of despair, he lifted his voice and to heaven and he said, Oh, Lord Jesus, why didn't you come? I thought for sure you would. And in that moment of silence, he heard a voice within him say, Oh, shoe cobbler, lift up your heart. I kept my word. Three times I knocked at your friendly door. Three times my shadow fell across your floor. I was the man with the bruised feet. I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the boy on the homeless street.
0: Jesus had come. The cobbler just didn't realize it. See, every day, friends, we have the opportunity to show the love
1: of Christ to those around us, to show the love that God has so lavished on us that we're called children of God, to those who need to know that God loves. But my fear is that the way we live our lives, his love will not be on display for all to see. Like it was that very first Christmas when heaven was opened and Jesus came. The angels sang about him. He was born in a very ordinary way in a manger. So God's love was accessible to everybody. My fear is that we will miss that if we don't pay attention to the ways that love can be expressed in very ordinary ways everyday kind of ways that people might know the love of Christ. I'll say it again, God's wonderful love is both given and proven through Christmas. And so we should learn the same, that that wonderful love of God also could be given by us and proven by us in how we live our everyday lives. This week, as I was studying, I ran across a Christmas version of 1 Corinthians 13, known as the Love Chapter. So somebody took
0: the words of 1 Corinthians 13 and Christmasized it. So I share it with you as we close today. If
1: I decorate my house perfectly with plaid bows, strands of twinkly lights, and shiny ornaments, but do not have love, I'm just another decorator. If I slave away in the kitchen, baking dozens of Christmas cookies and preparing gourmet meals and arranging a beautifully adorned table at the mealtime, but do not have love, I'm just another cook. If I work at the soup kitchen, carol in the nursing home, and give all that I have to the charities, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I trim the spruce with shimmering angels and crocheted snowflakes and attend a myriad of holiday parties and sing in the Christmas choir, but do not focus on Christ, I've missed the point. Love stops the cooking to hug the child. Love sets aside the decorating to kiss the spouse. Love is kind, though harried and tired. Love does not envy another's home that's Coordinated Christmas china and table linens and perfectly hung lights. Love does not yell at the kids to get out of the way, but is thankful they are there to be in the way. Love does not give only to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who cannot. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Toys. Will break. Pearl necklaces will be lost. Golf clubs will
0: rust. But giving the gift of love will endure. So, this Christmas, I know you have gifts under the tree, perhaps, but I hope the greatest gift you'll receive or that you'll give is the love of Christmas, not the Hallmark Channel kind of love. Yeah, you can do that. But God's love, not wrapped in packages underneath your tree, but
1: wrapped in swaddling clothes and human skin, Jesus, his love that touched our lives so deeply that we could be called children of God, that we could be saved from our sins, the Savior of the world who came as an expression of God's love. And then we can take that same love and share it with those nearest to us.
0: Have you shared that love lately? If not, maybe that's the gift you could give this year. Let's pray. Father, thank
1: you for your love for us. And thank you that it's not limited to Christmas only, but it's forever. It's a love that never ends. So thank you, Father, that you love us like that. Even in our brokenness, in our sin, when we were unworthy, when we were unlovely, You loved us because the love you have for us is not based on our condition. It's not based on our value or our worth. It's not based on our
0: actions. It is your will. Your love is a choice that you make every day to seek our greatest good. But thank you, Father, that that love
1: is what sent your son Jesus to be born that Christmas day and it's that love that still
0: today beckons people to come and kneel and believe that he is the savior of the world. If you're here today and maybe you need the savior of the world to be born into your life,
1: maybe you need to experience a fresh God's love for you because maybe it's grown cold. Maybe you feel like you are unlovely, You're not worthy of the kind of love God would have for you, but that's a lie. God loves you. He was never stopped loving you. He loves you the same today as he did the day your heart was on fire for him. And if you need to refresh that love in your life today, I want to pray with you.
0: And if that's you, just raise a
1: hand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Just say, Kelly, pray with me today that that love of God would be made new in my heart today. I'd like to pray with you. Just raise your hand if that's you. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, each of us need that love afresh. I know I do. Sometimes I
0: forget about that. Thank you for your love that you lavish upon us through Christ. We receive that love today.
1: And then we reciprocate that love back to you because we love because you first loved us. And we love others because we love you. So stir that love awake in our hearts, not just because it's Christmas, but year-round. That that love that Corinthians talks about that is never failing, that's patient, that endures all things, hopes all things, that love would be at work in our relationships with our spouse. That would be at work in the way we treat our children
0: and our neighbors and our co-workers. May that love be alive in us this Christmas. Thank you
1: that you're the author of that love. You are that love. And so we receive it today with glad hearts, knowing that you're calling upon us now to love this world as you do, so they would see and know on full display the love you have not only given, but you've proven at Christmas. Thank you for that love. We respond to it today. Help us to extend that gift to
0: others this season and throughout 2020. In Christ's name we pray, amen.